0: filthy cash. I can't help but listen.
1: me
2: Hello, and welcome to the weekly review with Roman today. It's Friday, November 5th, 2021. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are broadcasting live from mutiny radio. Yay. Ah, deep breath here. We're in San Francisco and we're on Unseated Ramaytush Ohlone land. For more information, please go to Rematouche.org And that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H dot O-R-G. You can read about a lot of the history and you can also donate and A lot of information there. And you can also check out our land acknowledgement tab, uh, which you can find at weeklyrev.org and click on the land acknowledgement tab. And there's a lot of resources there. So I do encourage folks to check that out. Start off with some music as we usually do here. First, we heard bold generation, uh, by Prince, then Shae's long by wet leg, and then kill the fun by Haley Bonar. Got some news stories and some upcoming events, uh, to share with you all. So yay. Um, it's hard to say yay when, uh, the rise in fascism is creeping up all around us. And at the same time, it's important to know what's going on and to help, uh, folks, uh, myself included to, uh, check in and, and to organize when possible. And there's a lot of positive things that are going on. I'm going to try to not leave that as a question, <laughs> um, but sharing some positive things that are happening. There's also some pretty horrible, but a lot of us know that there are, uh, just, ugh. With the the recalls, um, some of the election results, um, the rich getting like 70, like the billionaires got 70% richer during the pandemic and the Democrats are feckless as usual to not do anything. Uh, anarchists are being arrested for uh, self-defense. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's pretty fucking frightening and that's just, that's just a fraction of the things, um. Oh, yeah. And somehow, for some reason, police, um, not only are not being defunded, but they are getting funded even more, which is just reprehensible and disgusting. Um, and this is just by large, it's a general statement. Um, but it's just disgusting when, uh, funds could actually go to housing people, healthcare, a number of other things that don't involve hurting people. So, uh, let's talk about some other things that are happening and, uh. You know, I said, "Oh, positive things," and um, so I guess I should start with that uh, before I <laughs> talk myself into a depression here. So this is an email. Checking out from my email, one from Lambda Legal, and apparently this came in today. Uh, this week, the U.S. Department of Justice and the Social Security Administration dismissed their Ninth Circuit appeals of two nationwide class action lo- class action lawsuits won by Lambda Legal in favor of surviving same-sex spouses and partners who were previously denied equal access to Social Security survivors' benefits. This is a huge win that affects individuals who were previously unable to meet the requirement for survivors' benefits that uh, they be married for nine months because of discriminatory marriage laws. Uh, They say, we've been fighting this battle in court for years, and today, same-sex partners no longer have to worry about whether or not they will qualify for survivors' benefits. Lambda Legal filed two class action lawsuits in 2018, one on behalf of surviving same-sex spouses who married their loved ones, but were prevented from being married for nine months, and and the other on behalf of surviving same-sex partners who were prevented from marrying their loved ones at all. And so there's a bit more information there. So that's a positive thing. Got to start off on a positive note. And again, uh, there should be no discrimination in terms of marriage in the first place, and that also includes for disabled folks who oftentimes can't get married because they might lose their benefits. Um, However, any step in the right direction to ensure that uh, folks can make ends meet. Yeah, I can turn a positive story into a negative one. It's uh, my special kind of alchemy, I guess. But it's important to be honest, right? I'd rather listen to someone who's honest and a bit depressing than someone who lies all the time and make things seem like all sunshine and rainbows. So, Next up, here's a. there's a lot of labor action happening. A lot of folks are on strike and people are organizing, so that's a good thing. See, positive story number two. I might break my own record of having two positive stories in a row. Gig workers rising, hashtag striketober newsletter. Gig workers protest, DoorDash on Global Day of Action. Lyft drivers are being killed on the job. Okay, that's not positive. Um, so this is from uh, Gig Workers Rising. October has been the month of striking to raise awareness about companies' horrible business practices and lack of sympathy for the common working individual gig workers, rising members like you and me and everyone. Uh, or most people, I should say, and others around the world have been protesting their poor working conditions, and one by one, groups of workers are joining in and speaking up. Gig workers around the the Bay Area organized a protest outside of DoorDash's headquarters in downtown San Francisco on November 3rd, the anniversary of Prop 22, boo, Prop 22, Uh, to demand it hashtag share the wealth with workers and drop the Prop 22 court appeal. Our protest was part of the fifth annual Global Gig Workers Day of Action with our allies, at Alianza Unidos World Action. Oh, and they've got a Facebook live stream. Maybe we should uh, look into that. Uh, DoorDash makes billions of dollars each year off the backs of workers and its CEO and the highest paid executive in the Bay, and its CEO is the highest paid executive in the Bay Area. Last year alone, DoorDash CEO Tony Chu uh, was paid a whopping $400 million. Meanwhile, Dashers are paid as little as $4 with tip per delivery. Uh, while receiving no PPE, no minimum wage, no bathroom access, no compensation for gas and work in unsafe conditions. Enough is enough. If you agree, show some solidarity by adding your name to our DoorDash petition. Sure. I'll do that. Click and open the link and all right. Auto fill. Are you actively labor? All right. I'm going to submit this doing it now while I'm on the air. So I don't forget to do it later. They need my postal code, and I could, you know, this is a very DIY show. So, all right, and submit. Oh, okay. All right, so let's gonna go to the uh, the Facebook live stream that they had up, and see if we can. Hear some words from other folks. Let's see.
3: Starting here at the DoorDash HQ
4: here in San Francisco,
2: you see a lot of cars coming by and honking in support. Fast
5: forward a bit.
2: There's images of folks protesting outside with banners, gig workers are essential, and signs. Fast forward a bit more. A
6: decrease in pay and a lie about benefits. Less than 15% of drivers in California are actually getting access to health care as promised by Prop 22. Are given by the people who order from DoorDash, the, pe- the tips that people are given by riders in their cars are stolen by these employers. These companies have manipulated the pay so that drivers make less and less and less while right. working more and it's not fair. It's not right. And we are here to say enough is enough. 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 So we are here with okay. We Drive Progress, with SEIU 1021, with Gig Workers Rising and Gig Workers United, because we all stand together. Because every single gig worker in California, every single gig worker in America, every single gig worker all across the Earth, internationally is rising up today in our International Day of Action to say we deserve better. And we are here to demand better. So open the doors, let us in, take the letter. Understand who we are. See our faces. We want to see yours. Tony Zhu, you can do better than this. For $400 this year the seventh highest-paid CEO in the world. Respect your workers. Respect your workers. Respect them. Protect workers. them and pay them. You can call us a Central and leave it's us without protection. We're over it. We demand better. Thank you all. Woo! Woo Woohoo! Good!
7: What happens when we fight? When we fight? When we fight? And brothers, sisters, and siblings, we're in a fight. We've been in a fight, a fight for a long time. And in this fight, just not that long ago, as we see with Prop 22, they spent over $200 million to try to take away the rights of our workers. Is that right? They spent $200 million and got barely over 50% of the vote They knew it was wrong. They don't look at us as humans. Are they treating us as humans? No. They're treating us as an app, as a widget, as a gadget, in order to line their pockets. And as my sister Jennifer seen said, "Enough enough is enough. 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 So. We're not gonna let this fight end, are we? No. We're gonna fight this with tooth and nail and do every and anything that we have to do to make sure that we hold these companies accountable and make sure the people that actually make this company get treated fairly, which is all of us. So brothers and sisters, SEIU 10 to 1 and our 60,000 workers are 110% behind you. We're gonna fight this fight till the end to make sure we win. Thank you, everybody.
2: All right, so I got a chance. So uh, taking a pause here, it's about 13 minutes into the video, I'm going to go into some other stories, and we might come back to that a little bit later. Next up, also from my inbox, <laughs> it's one way to find stories. Uh subscribe to a lot of mailing lists over the years. Uh, Economic Policy Institute, there's a teach-in that's happening, and these are super helpful, I find, just to learn more. Uh, building Back Better or Building Back Worse. Uh, the challenge of building a high-road electric vehicle industry with anti-union employers. Ooh. This is November 9th, 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 to 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Um, Electric vehicles are coming, and the reinvention of the U.S. auto industry holds great potential for the economy and the climate, but realizing this potential will require proactive pro-worker policies at federal, state, and local levels, Will we ensure that massive expansion of electric vehicle manufacturing results in family supporting jobs that revitalize regional economies reverse economic inequality and close racial and gender wage gaps or will we allow highly profitable anti-union employers to use public investments to deny workers rights and continue eroding job standards um of course we hope it's not the second but uh, a new report from api research associate gordon Lafer. Uh, documents the legal and illegal tactics automakers routinely use to block workers from forming unions and what's urgently needed at this moment to curb these anti-democratic anti-worker trends across the industry join us for a launch event featuring report highlights and discussion of implications of labor racial and climate justice and they have a link and we'll share this info on our show notes page at weeklyrev.org should be up later today that was so fucking unnecessary All right, it was a loud car outside. I know that doesn't really narrow it down because lots of cars are loud. Okay. Let us look into some more articles. Hashtag, this is on the BDS movement, exposed JNF and Israeli greenwashing at hashtag cop 26. And I wasn't sure what cop 26 was and it has the word cop in it. So of course I was like, ah, um, but it's not about cops. Dear supporter, the struggles against colonialism, racism, and militarization and for climate, economic, and social justice are profoundly interconnected. Yet, the climate crisis disproportionately affects Palestinians living under and resisting Israeli occupation, apartheid, and settler colonialism. Indigenous Palestinians living under these conditions with no control over their land or natural resources are highly vulnerable to the climate crisis. Apartheid, Israel projects a false climate-friendly image to the world while pillaging Palestinian natural resources and destroying the environment. Israel's apartheid policies have a detrimental effect not only on Palestinian land and agriculture, but also across the global south, where Israeli companies promote environmentally destructive and economically unviable agribusiness. Multinational and Israeli corporations such as AXA, HSBC, Netafim, Netafim, uh, Mekorot, and Haifa Chemicals, as well as settler colonial organizations like the Jewish National Fund, play a key role in enabling and greenwashing Israel's apartheid regime. For 120 years, the JNF has been responsible for the ethnic cleansing of indigenous Palestinians. Most recently, the JNF has has been behind the demolition and expulsion of Palestinian families in occupied East Jerusalem neighborhoods like Sawan as part of its involvement in supporting illegal settlement expansion in the West Bank, including East Jerusalem. Now the JNF seeks to greenwash its crimes as a participant in the COP26 climate summit. Join the BDS movement at COP26 to expose the JNF. Take action now. Oh, so there's global uh, demonstrations happening tomorrow for climate justice, November 6th. So if you're listening today, November 5th, this is uh, tomorrow. Let's see. There. Oh, you can find, wow, well, there's a lot. So there's a whole page here. If you go to... T- COP26, and it's really bugging me out that the initials are COP, but I'm going to have to move past that. It's my own issue. COP26coalition.org forward slash map. There's a whole page, uh, lots of info on um, actions that are happening across the country. There's some, there's a lot, there's everywhere actually around the world. Got North America, Africa, South America, um, Asia, Europe, and Australia. Uh, Nothing on Antarctica that I see just yet, but, you know, give it time. And uh, let's see what's happening locally. I'm going to zoom into the link here. Berkeley, Global Day of Action for Climate Justice. More info. Let's take a look. This is happening um, tomorrow, November 6th, 1130 a.m. at Sproul Plaza. This is happening from Sproul Plaza to MLK Civic Center Park, which is at uh, 2495 Bancroft Way in Berkeley. And the host contact info is at uh, 350 Bay Area. You can reach out. On their socials for more info. So, I will share this link on our page. Lots more info here. Okay. So, yeah, no matter where you're listening in the world, there may be something near you. So, we'll share this link on our page at weeklyrev.org. All right. See positive things that are happening. Not all terrible. Right? Right. Okay. I think it's time for another music break. It's about, uh, just about tw- almost 1230. So let's play some more music and we'll be back in a bit. Stay tuned.
8: elephant in the room is like what we suspected, that really, on the inside, the negotiators, the representatives of some of the main uh, northern industrialized countries uh, and the large uh, environmental NGOs and the conservation NGOs, and then the business sector, uh, the financing arena, the banks, the uh, Yes, the big elephant in the room that they don't really want to address is fossil fuels. It's the same thing that those of us that have been involved uh, uh, post uh, Paris Agreement uh, and out of our ITR analysis coming out of Paris in 2015, was that the Paris Agreement it, it was really a trade instrument, and that was one of the things Alberto as a human rights attorney saw what it was. It, it, it does, not it did not address the issues that are serious to our communities. Yes, how do we hold, and how does that instrument, which is a, a international accord uh, agreement, how does that hold a c- countries accountable to reducing their admissions real reductions those issues and it had very little language on that except it came out with uh, some recognition already that was established as a voluntary process around nationally determined contributions and countries can make their pledges so that's kind of where we're at there's nothing different that we saw uh, when we landed
2: this was a clip uh, that was just posted recently this was uh, Tom Goldtooth of IEN Earth uh, with the It Takes Roots Frontline Delegation and this was posted by the Climate Justice Alliance um, next up I'm going to share a press release from St. James Infirmary uh, St. James is a pretty awesome org, it's here in San Francisco for more info you can go to uh, stjamesinfirmary.org and this is Their press release, MasterCard's policy doesn't protect anyone, but it does threaten the livelihood of sex workers. And this came out on November 3rd. Sex workers experience much abuse in our society. One increasingly common form of this abuse is economic oppression, when politicians and corporations use financial discrimination to limit and deny sex workers' rights to earn a wage. While sex workers organize for freedom from poverty, stigma, and violence, MasterCard has introduced discriminatory policies that make sex workers' online jobs more difficult and dangerous, exposing the most marginalized sex workers to increased harm. As the ACLU writes, this is bad news for many sex workers whose safety and livelihoods depend on access to financial services and online platforms. MasterCard's new policy restricts how adult content on websites may operate in order to process payments with their services. Some of these changes include banning search terms, mandating pre-approval of content, keeping records of age and identity, forcing pornographic websites to ban niche fetishes, and enforcement of oppressive surveillance recognition tactics. These attacks on sex work are nothing new, but MasterCard's policy renews and normalizes harm to sex workers' finances. Vocal critics of pornography, such as Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times, claim that these changes are needed in order to protect children. Okay. Uh, St. James Infirmary stands firmly against the exploitation of children, sex trafficking, and labor abuse. However, in this case, as so often, the specter of child safety, and that's in quotation marks, is a ruse deployed to authorize surveillance. The criminalization of sex work will not protect anyone, but it will increase surveillance, discrimination, and the limitation of rights on many people who are not sex workers, um, but who will be caught in the web of criminalization. Uh, This policy does not only impact big corporations and websites that use MasterCard. These regulations impact everyday people by attacking the livelihood, privacy, and autonomy of sex workers while normalizing surveillance, violation of privacy, and the limitation of freedom of speech. Financial regulations produced by politicians and corporations are not, in fact, created to protect children. They are meant to please their fundamentalist Christian donors by furthering the economic marginalization of sex workers, Restricting the way sex workers work is not only societal erasure, it is patronizing. Sex workers are resilient, constantly faced with financial discrimination and social marginalization. Sex workers have produced myriad ways to protect and support one another economically, from unions and strikes to community based practices of mutual aid. In the era of FOSTA and SESTA, sex workers have used the challenge of discriminatory legislation to fight even harder. St. James Infirmary stands in solidarity with sex workers against the surveillance state. Please support these efforts that sex workers have taken to mobilize against this. Let big corporations and politicians know that sex workers matter. Uh, Sign on to this letter to call on MasterCard to reverse their policies, and they have a link here that we'll share in our show notes section. Join with groups like the ACLU and tweet at MasterCard to end this policy and protect sex workers' rights. Hashtag acceptance matters. Hashtag sex workers' rights are human rights. And for more information about St. James, uh, St. James Infirmary is a peer-based occupational health and safety clinic for sex workers of all genders. It is our mission to meet the needs of people engaged in the sex trade through advocacy, direct services, and social justice. St. James Infirmary works actively to combat racism, class inequality, misogyny, homophobia, and transphobia, ableism, and all other forms of oppression that lead to discrimination, stigma, and marginalization. You can join us as a volunteer or as a donor to our longstanding work for more information about our efforts to serve the community while advocating for decriminalization of sex work. Check out our website at stjamesinfirmary.org. So we'll share a link to this where you can sign and also find more information and also share this around social media. If you go to weeklyrev.org, it should be up later today. All right, let's go back to, since we are talking about labor and everything is connected, let's go back to the gig workers protest um, in front of DoorDash. We'll hear a little bit more from the speakers there.
7: over. People united. When I say people united, you say we'll never be defeated. And then when I say drivers united, we'll never be divided. People united. We'll never, we'll never be, be defeated. defeated. The drivers united. will never be divided. The people united. We'll never be defeated. The drivers united.
9: will never be divided. All right.
7: Thank you, everybody. Woo!
10: Good morning, everyone. My name is Ron Du, and I'm part of Gig Workers Rising and a full-time rideshare driver and delivery driver. As a DoorDash driver, I have so many good memories of fun interactions, jokes, sights, and smells that come with doing this work. The occasional free food is nice too. If you are an extrovert who enjoys people, then gig work can be a ton of fun, and that joy is contagious. And but, I also have memories... Oh, oh.
11: It, got it got unplugged. I also have
8: memories
11: of excessive wait times, no parking,
10: inadequate pay, and knowing that... And
12: knowing...
10: <laughs> there you go. But I also have memories of excessive wait times no parking, inadequate pay, and knowing that if you make a few mistakes, you could end up deactivated, looking for new work. And that stress is contagious. Even though this is act-based labor, we really work in a deeply human business where the stakes feel very high. Even though you're mainly delivering ice cream or some sushi or some groceries to a person who's too busy, too stoned, too sick, too far away or too lazy to get the food themselves. And we Dashers are happy to help out. But we are not happy to help for free or get ripped off. Sadly, Dashers can't survive off of good vibes and the pride of a job well done. But we do partially live off of the money that DoorDash pays us. And Tony Hsu, we need our money. I know that DoorDash's revenue is through the roof, and yet you still didn't turn a profit all this year. Very strange accounting. We work under high standards, Tony, and we need you to hold yourself to higher standards by figuring out how to make a profit without ripping off the drivers. Increase that base pay, address safety concerns, and increase pay transparency for workers, but also for customers In terms of fees. I know there are a lot of intelligent, incredibly hardworking and vibrant people out here. Can you give yourselves a round of applause by the way? But really none of us wants to be here saying how little concern DoorDash seems to have for its workers. That's not a fun story to tell. It doesn't make us feel good. We're forced to be here because Tony Hsu and his DoorDash cronies are keeping drivers broke and pocketing money that you should be using to pay us fairly. We work long hours, take on physical risk for low rates of pay on 80 plus percent of orders. We are telling Tony that we are hurting, but he refuses to increase the baseline pay and treat us like anything but cogs in a machine. Your indifference is forcing us to be here, Tony. While you try to make more money than God so that you can join the weird club of megalomaniacal tech CEOs, we workers grind on. As you spend millions to prevent the legal system from catching up with you with your labor lawless shenanigans through bogus ballot initiatives, such as Prop 22, boo! we are struggling it seems like media likes to portray tony as some sort of genius for figuring out how to get really rich but the question is how brilliant can you really be if you can't figure out how to run a profitable business while paying your workers a fair wage what kind of business are you running that you make more money than ever but still lose money it is it is still not a good excuse to hustle and exploit your workers by refusing to pay us a livable wage. You are completely out of touch with the reality that your workforce is living, and it shows by your lack of responsive policy. To all the gig workers that are here today, I want to say that our country, our world is lucky to have you, while others are sitting on the sidelines merely accepting that companies like DoorDash are bad actors. In terms of worker treatment and pay, you are out here lifting your voices. When DoorDash hijacks the hopes of most workers, you remain hopeful. When most drivers look at the behavior of DoorDash and say, this company will never treat us fairly, so why bother protesting? You, everyone here, you refuse to remain silent. There are workers, scholars, lawyers, government officials who have dedicated their years of their lives and so much energy to fighting against exploitation and injustices in our system that devastate working people. And without these idealistic, determined people, society would probably fall into an incredibly hopeless place. For every cold-hearted, Tony Hsu-type CEO, there are a hundred quiet heroes that most people will never know exist but who in their own way fight for the core values of our country of decency, fairness, and holding powerful companies accountable. One out of every three new jobs is gig gig work or independent contract work. The way I see it, we are fighting not only for ourselves, but for the future of contract workers. We cannot let what we're going through become the new normal legally and socially. Big companies such as DoorDash already don't follow national labor laws, that are and are actively trying to write their own laws so that they can remain largely unregulated. There is no economic or legal incentive to make DoorDash do anything besides enrich its leaders and shareholders. The days of expecting corporations to behave in a moral manner are over. Because getting around the law, because Excuse me, one side, are over because they refuse to listen to us workers and will do anything to get around the laws. We cannot let CEOs like Tony Shu continue to run their businesses like bandits, fooling workers, shareholders, and even the government. Someday that venture capital money is gonna run out. And gig companies like DoorDash will have to operate like actual businesses. And they'll have to answer for what they're doing right now and have done in the past. We drivers want DoorDash to succeed, but we are here demanding that you succeed without screwing us over. Get with the program of fair pay, worker protections, and pay transparency in both drivers and DoorDash customers. Until you work with drivers instead of against us, we and our allies will keep fighting you, and we will eventually prevail politically and legally because anyone who's not delusional can see that the way that you've been running your business is unsustainable. Thank you. Hey,
13: hey, 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 let's get some energy. We are the drivers, we are the soul of this company. Now, guys, we know enough is enough. Can I hear enough is enough? Enough is enough. enough. Well, I got a new one for you today. Human greed is not a need. Tony we're sick of you. Let's go at one time. Human greed is not a need. Tony Zhu, we're sick of you. Human greed is not a need. Tony Zhu, we're sick of you. All right, let's go with one we all know. When drives are under attack, what do we do? That's right. When drivers are under attack, what do we do? When drivers are under attack, what do we do? Love you all. Thank you for being out here today. God bless, and we're going to make this happen.
2: All right. Going to take another pause here and get into another story, because there's a lot to get to. So there was an election recently. Uh, I wish there was a good sound effect for the sound of... (laughs) election results being disappointing. But you know, I guess it's just, what are you going to do? So this is from Lauren Elizabeth and from this blog, xlauren-mx.medium.com. After what happened in Buffalo, I don't want to hear vote blue, no matter who. Again, the democratic party doesn't want unity. They just want the left to bend. And this came out 21 hours ago. So very recently with everything going on and all the frustration associated with american politics every once in a while it's been not only welcome but necessary to see a small glimmer of hope a little something that might restore the dwindling faith in electoral politics that seems to be getting us nowhere in buffalo we found it with india walton the first socialist in decades winning the democratic primary and primed to become the mayor Of course, the powers that be decided they would not have it. After incumbent mayor Byron Brown lost the Democratic primary to Walton, he immediately responded by launching a well-organized write-in campaign that he coordinated with the right wing and spending, of course, massive amounts of money. A write-in campaign that resulted in his re-election, even though he lost the Democratic primary and uh, India-Walton losing. I never, ever want to hear vote blue no matter who again. Imagine if the roles were reversed. Imagine if it was India Walton who had lost the primary against incumbent Byron Brown and decided that she was not going to accept defeat, but would rather steamroll him and align with the right than allow Brown to win. Imagine if it was Walton who had decided that she didn't feel as though respecting the results of the primary was necessary. Imagine if it was Walton who decided to undermine the results of the primary in an effort to serve her own interests. Or better yet, imagine if it was Bernie Sanders. Imagine if Bernie Sanders had not accepted the results of the 2016 primary and decided he was going to launch a mass write-in campaign. Imagine if Bernie Sanders decided he didn't like that Hillary Clinton one, so he decided that he did not need to accept defeat. Imagine if Bernie Sanders had decided that the primary was beneath him, and he would fight to get in office no matter the cost or the will of the voters. The Democratic Party organizes better against the left than it ever has against the GOP, and it would be laughable if it wasn't so infuriating. Vote blue no matter who, and gracious defeat is an onus put almost exclusively on the left. Now we can't even count on corporate Democrats accepting the results of the primary, much less accepting the loss with courtesy and respect for the will of the voters. I cannot even begin to imagine the reaction of the Democratic establishment if, all throughout the country, the left learned from this and decided that this was a legitimate play. Imagine if candidates decided they could merely launch writing campaigns rather than accept their loss. The outrage would be almost unbearable, and yet there has been nary a peep about what happened to India Walton. This right here is the true nature of the Democratic Party's establishment and their old guard. They have never, ever meant a word of any of it when they chastise the left with their same tired talking points of being united, accepting defeat, and voting blue regardless. It's just designed to get the left left to fall in line and they clearly don't even bother pretending otherwise anymore. Honestly, above all else, this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Democratic Party is in a state of political open warfare between the rising left and a dying, scrambling old guard that is desperate to retain power for as long as they possibly can, no matter the damage to the party overall in the long term. Incoming elections, particularly as the left only continues to gain power throughout the country, whether it be at the local, state, or federal level, the pushback is only going to get more and more intense. Whether the whether it be Nevada's Democratic establishment pulling all the money from the accounts when Democratic Socialists won, or the fact that the party and its donors spent millions on a lone Ohio congressional special election just to ensure that Nina Turner didn't win, they continue to reveal their colors in a more brazen fashion. They want nothing more than to see us give up. And I hope those of us on the left remember we can never give them that satisfaction. Anything worth fighting for will not come easy and we cannot forget it. So I thought that was a pretty <sighs> validating summary. And we'll post a link to this again on our website, weeklyrev.org Time for another music break and we'll be back in a bit.
9: Check it out. I never love nobody for.
2: called Frankie by Barry and before that we heard Regina Spector with Fidelity coming up next um there is an upcoming event that folks can check out Saturday November 20th from noon to 3 p.m at MLK Junior Civic Center Park in Berkeley Berkeley Cares Care Village and Festival it will include face painting haircuts there's a winter clothing drive you can bring some or take some uh bike fixing as well as live music For questions, donations, tabling information, or to volunteer, you can contact berkeleycarefest at gmail.com. And again, we will uh, share the link to this uh, on our page at weeklyrev.org. Next up, an article from Global Times, globaltimes.cn, China's first clinic for transgender children and adolescents set up in Shanghai. And this came out on November 4th. China's first multidisciplinary clinic for transgender children and adolescents was set up at the Children's Hospital of Fudan University in Shanghai recently to safely and healthily manage transgender minors' transition. Experts expect that the clinic, integrated with psychology, endocrine, and genetic metabolic urology departments, among other departments, will serve as a bridge between transgender children, parents, doctors, and the various circles of society. The Global Times learned from the hospital on Thursday that the clinic was set up after the hospital had encountered such cases in its clinical practice. The World Professional Association for Transgender Health, WPATH, defines a transgender person as someone whose gender identity is inconsistent with his or her birth sex, or one should say assigned at birth. Uh, In a case shared by the hospital, an adolescent girl named Shaolin, a pseudonym, uh, suffered Repeated anxiety and depression after she entered puberty and her female's physiological characteristics became more obvious. Uh, through searching on the internet, she learned that she is a transgender person. More, however, talking to her parents about this increased her psychological pressure and uh, since her parents tried to dismiss the concept as being in her mind, but their efforts eventually turned out to be in vain. The preliminary evaluation on her psychology at the hospital showed that Xiaolin is indeed transgender. Well, obviously, I mean, she says she is, she is. Uh, The medical advice given by the psychological doctors and endocrinologists at the hospital was to stabilize and improve her mood first and suppress her menstruation. Okay, suppress... All right, so this is a trans man, it looks like, and they've just misgendered this person in this entire article. So please nix what I've said. So if they're trying to... Okay, so... All right, baby steps, I guess. Um, so the medication to ease his anxiety—it is up to um, up to him whether he wants. Okay. Um, moving on, I'm kind of feeling pretty pissed that this article misgendered this person. Um, however, I'm glad that uh, at least this <laughs> facility exists. But yikes. Okay. Um, so that's a positive thing. All right. Good things happening. Um, next up, we're going to move into, uh, I'm just going to shake off the fact that that article totally misgendered that person they were talking about. And, uh, <laughs> ugh, okay. Next up, uh, we're going to move. I don't want to move along because I think it's pretty frustrating that it's like, oh, finally some positive trans news because there's been a lot of negative trans, uh, information happening and in, like, especially in the BBC, a lot of transphobia in the Guardian, et cetera. Um, so I was happy to find an article that looked like it was supportive. So I'm just feeling pretty frustrated. However, I'm glad this facility exists and, uh, perhaps that will be something positive in the future. Next up more in the, in the line of labor and strikes, uh, Kellogg's workers. We mentioned earlier on the show a few weeks ago, they're on strike and here's a video I wanted to share, uh, from the reddit the subreddit workers strike back so let's uh hear this uh, video hey
14: you don't have a personal life i work here every single day kellogg's is a trade-off you're living here to support your family but you're missing out on that time
4: The union claims they're forced to work seven days a week and significant amounts of overtime. The fact is, in 2020, our cereal manufacturing employees worked an average of 52 to 56 hours per week. However, 90% of the time, employees volunteered for the extra Uh, hours.
2: That's a PR person. It
15: pissed
14: me off when I first saw the video because we really do work seven days a week, 24-7. I've been working every single Saturday, every single Sunday, Monday through Friday. Sometimes I'll get forced over because people won't show up because they're sick, vacation, whatever. I lost count how many hours I put into this plant in the last year.
2: Workers say Kellogg's system forces them to quote-unquote volunteer for overtime. So
14: say, for example, you have a family. You work from the 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. shift. You've got kids you've got to go pick up after school. You know you're going to get forced over because there's a lack of manpower inside Kellogg. So what we do is what we call defensive signing. That individual now signed for the 3 a.m., the 7 a.m. shift. So they will get picked up for that because all three shifts are short people. So, yes, this person signed, but he would have been forced anyways. There's a point system in place. Once you get to a certain point, you'll be terminated. Even though a person may have problems,
4: they may have children at home, pets at home. They may have people that they're taking care of. The average 2020 earnings for the majority of our hourly serial employees was $120,000 per year, and more than a third earned between $120,000 and $200,000.
14: I don't make nowhere near that 120 dollars In order to
2: make that, you work working 16 hours a day, every day, holidays, birthdays, anniversaries. <music>
4: threats of closing a couple of plants. So the concession was to keep all four plants running. They brought in people who are making less wage.
14: Basically, we're doing the same thing, just different pay, different benefits. They have to pay part of their health care at
4: over $10 less per hour. We get paid a certain amount of holidays per year. They have four less holidays paid per year.
2: Made $1.76 billion I'm a of profit. In third generation Kellogg's. I've been
14: told that there's no way I'm going to become full time. I'm never going to reap the benefits that the people before me have. We want them to be equal with us. We want to keep that going forward for our future generations. Legacy people have a pension. Transitionals do not have a pension. We want them to have a pension so that way when they retire from working here for 20, 30 years, they have something to retire on.
11: I've
2: seen all the benefits of my grandfather working here for all these years. You know, my dad worked in here for all these years, then to find out that somewhere along the lines they lost their values
14: on the employees are their best asset, it's a shame. All
15: right.
2: Next up, uh, some more Libra news. More than 30,000 Kaiser Permanente workers just announced they'll strike this month. They oppose a two tier wage plan that they say would exacerbate an existing staffing crisis. This is written by Noah Lennard, and uh, this came out yesterday. Uh, more. And this is from uh, Mother Jones, you can find motherjones.com. More than 30,000 Kaiser Permanente workers plan to strike on November 15th if contract negotiations with the health network do not improve. Workers are fighting a proposal from Kaiser that would cut pay for future hires. The decision to provide Kaiser with the 10-day notice required by federal labor law is a major escalation in what could soon become one of the largest healthcare strikes in recent history. It comes after Kaiser workers from unions across the country voted overwhelmingly last month to give union leaders the authority to call a strike. Roughly 20,000 workers are already on strike at major companies like Kellogg's and John Deere as part of what is dubbed Striketober. The workers who plan to strike on November 15th are members of the United Nurses Association of California, Union of Healthcare Professionals, the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, and United Steelworkers Local 7600 which represents Kaiser workers in California. Another 8,000 Kaiser employees, whose union also whose unions have also authorized strikes, may put in their 10-day notices in the coming days. Jody Barshow, a Kaiser nurse who serves as the president of the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, said in a statement that workers had hoped Kaiser would back down after they authorized strikes and held rallies opposing the health network's plan. Striking is our last resort, Bar Show said, but it is what we must do so that we can protect our patients, our workers, and our entire public health care system from the disastrous attack Kaiser leadership is staging. Kaiser's initial offer would have cut wages for future hires between 26 and 39%. Uh, UNAC slash UHCP said in a press release that the health network reduced that to a 15% cut in an offer made on Tuesday. Kaiser workers believe that two-tier wage, two-tier wage system would deepen an existing staffing crisis at the network's facilities and put patients at risk by making the nonprofit unable to recruit and retain talented workers. And as the author wrote last week, there are also fears that it would lead to resentment among those paid less for the same work or cause Kaiser to replace the more expensive workers covered by the old contract with new hires. Kaiser's push for two tiered resembles similar proposals from Kellogg and John Deere that have already led to strikes this fall. Like Kaiser, both companies remain highly profitable. The Alliance of Healthcare Unions, the Coalition of 21 Locals, now considering whether to strike, has been pushing for 4% raises, uh, no two-tier wage system, and contract language that ensures safe staffing levels. Kaiser has made more than $10 billion during the pandemic. That includes $3 billion in the second quarter of 2021, most of which came from investments. In 2019, outgoing CEO Bernard Tyson's pay and retirement package came to $35 million. Kaiser declined to say last month how much his replacement Greg Adams made last year. Carrie Ferraro, a surgical technologist at Kaiser with 16 years of experience and a member of the bargaining team for the Oregon Federation of Nurses and Health Professionals, told uh, the author last month that she's already waited seven or eight hours to take lunch breaks because of short staffing. She fears how much worse staffing could get if a two-tier system went into effect. It really seems like they're just trying to save money at the expense of those same healthcare workers they called heroes, Ferraro said. Wow. So we'll share this article from Mother Jones as well. All right, time for another music break, and then we'll be back with uh, a little bit more, and then we'll wrap up the show after that. And this is a song by uh, John Stevens and Angelo de, Argen- de Augustine uh, called Reach Out.
5: the light came into form and made my mind Reach out, reach out to all and mm-hmm. will. Restores you, reach out, reach out, and all at once the pain restores you. All at once the pain restores you.
16: See Tommy keep shining in the streets and we're still wildin'. Only peace, only violets, no violence. In the sun where I'm highest, melanin bias, Jesus Christ, I'm iron made. Darkest shade while she cleans my braids. Skin don't fade and I'm still not phased by your magazine praise. We just wanna be great in these African jeans. I want my kids to have some nepotism. All I want is my wealth to have some repetition. Call my humble son and tell him that's the mission. Tell him that's the vision. Yeah. Tell him that's the mission. Yeah. Tell him that's the vision. playing just a little man in your mercedes-benz so amazing how you raised this bad a kid to a man in a whole different land you made it i don't want to keep waiting no i just thank you for your patience
8: so i'm licking we can
16: make this go again again and again we can make this go again again and again we can make this go. All I want my kids to have some nepotism. All I want my wealth to have some repetition. Call my humble son and tell him that's the mission. Tell him that's the vision. Yeah. Tell him that's the mission. Yeah. Tell him that's the vision. Hello, that's the mission. Yeah. Are you crazy? All I ever hear is people talking about how bad nepotism. You know how badly I want some nepotism in
2: my life? All right. There was a song called The Mission by bakar before that, we heard Reach Out by of Sean Stevens and Angelo D'Augustine. Let's get back to the rest of the video for the Gig Workers Rally in front of DoorDash that happened a couple days ago. And then we'll be back uh, after that.
6: Hey, Gig Workers, show them what you mean it! Say hello! Woo!
13: So great to be here. Uh, for those of you who know me, my name is Minister Sherry Murphy. I'm from Oakland and I'm a lead organizer of Gig Workers Rising. We know why we're here, right? Unfair working conditions, unsafe practices. We're here today to demand the unconstitutional Proposition 22 to be dropped by DoorDash and all of his cronies, right? We know the experience of what it means to drive as a rideshare driver, to be a delivery worker, to be day in and day out continuing to go out there and make money in the middle of COVID-19, right? Without proper protective equipment, without a safety protocol to keep our families and our passengers safe. But more importantly, how about trying to figure out where to go to the restroom, right? right. Or being deactivated without a proper protocol, right? Without, Without having a true voice. Or get this, having one of the richest corporations steal your tips. to so have about some transparency around the money that we make? We're here today because we're sick of being treated unfairly. That we're not asking to be rich. We're not asking to be a part of human greed. We're asking for fair wages. We're asking what's due to us. Right? And so I'm going to bring in Darush today. Part of the Part of my job today was to go in inside and deliver a petition of the reasons why we're here today. But you, as you can see, there are a number of police officers that are lined up prevent, that prevented us from going in. This is what I would say before I hand it to the roof. that the systems that we're in are totally connected to the systems that we see around policing, right? That the same policing that we see that harm and hurt and kill folks, particularly folks that look like me, are the same type of systems that harm and prevent for you to make fair working conditions. That's the ultimate thing. So there is nothing that separates what the unfairness that you see around when you get to your, your table or you're trying to pay rent, that all of those are connected. Your housing insecurity is connected to your economic insecurity, right? Public safety is connected to climate change. But all of this is connected. So not only are we here as rice hand drivers and delivery workers, we're here because we're saying that enough is enough. can you say enough is enough?
6: Enough is enough.
17: All right, thank you, everyone. Uh, my name is uh, Darius I'm from San Jose, I came here all the way to support my uh, brothers and sisters of this global interaction for gig workers. There you go, what okay. want to hear you brother. All right, my name is Dariush, I've come all the way from San Jose to uh, uh, giving my brothers and sisters for gig workers and uh, they are demanding that we should have the transparency for the pay and uh, tips uh, get our proper benefits uh, not to be misclassified as uh, independent contractors and be classified as employees like any other jobs get the pay and benefits which, which you all deserve and as far as the uh, benefit part of it is very important to me as far as having the insurance um, because of the work, i have been uh, forced to work more hours being stressed and anxious to take medical attention for it so uh, we are here to to make sure that Tony Shu gets the message uh, he's making over 400 million a year and many of the uh, delivery drivers get just four dollars per delivery so we, we attempted to deliver the petition today but we have prevented from, from doing that. Uh, we give uh, that petition to a gentleman. He is going to deliver that to Tony Scheele, and hopefully he gets the message, and uh, he will drop the uh, uh, appeal for the Prop 22. Thank you.
15: Hi, everyone. My name is Hector Castellanos. Victor! drivers since six seven years ago and i'm just going to say this is not just here this is happening all around the world this why right now today it's happening in all countries because we are sick of this company we just want to say that enough it's enough it's enough is enough, it's enough like in 1993 it was a tweet signing for 120 countries say the exploitation from a man to amen it's bad and it's wrong so what this company is doing right now they're doing exploitation that's why we are here we are demanding drop off the probe 22 we want what we needed, we want the benefits, we want workers' compensation, we got the healthcare insurance, we want the fair wage, that's why we are here. So I'm gonna to say to Tony enough it's enough, Tony. Thank you so much. Thank you, <laughs>
4: drivers rights are under attack what do we do and you say to the International Day of Action and the one-year anniversary of the passing of Prop 22. My name is Serena, and I go by the pronouns she, her, and hers. As we commemorate this day with this awesome action, us gig workers, myself included, are here to tell the unscrupulous gig companies, Uber, Lyft, George Ash's Tony Shu, who made 400 million last year, and politician that nothing has changed. Prop 22 was ruled as unconstitutional in Alameda courts as an anti-worker proposition, and yet little has been done to back this ruling. So we are here today to call attention that Prop 22 is not only unconstitutional, but a silent killer of the gig worker. Through the lack of accountability of Prop 22, Gig workers are denied fair treatment ranging from slave wages, lack of health benefits, unsafe working conditions, and the right to unionize, and the lack of access to basic sanitation, such as PPE and bathrooms. The continued consequences of Prop 22 have resulted in many gig workers losing housing, in debt from medical bills accrued on the job, having to use government assistance to live the american dream and constantly having to worry about bathroom access i know from personal experiences the challenges on a daily with having to find a bathroom this acute stress adds already to the bigger stresses that we gig workers face on a daily we have held up our end of the bargain by our continued participation to be working citizens while the very gig companies who claim to support us after spending an historic 240 million on Prop 22 continue to fail us by making it almost impossible to collect these benefits through our app, which is controlled by the gig companies. This seems to be a blatant example of misclassification of independent contractors and more of an employer-employee relationship.
15: Right
4: on. Thank you. And it's not just the companies to blame for this unfair treatment, but the continued support from politicians who fail to hold them accountable. Let's hold our politicians accountable as well, because as we gig workers continue to struggle to live the American dream of having fair pay, health stipends, and the right to represent ourselves by union, we are constantly being silenced with threats to terminate our app, our livelihood through gig company guidelines that parallel employee-employer relationships. Where is the spirit in helping one another succeed? Why as a gig worker am I being paid $4.85 including tip, to deliver 1.3 miles resulting in a 30-minute job? Why should I be denied a living wage when all I want to do is work at a job that I enjoy? Why should I be penalized for wanting to live my American dream and have access to bathrooms? So with your support today, let us use this action to continue to call attention to a dire situation that has many benefits when when we all work together with gay companies and politicians alike. By having the right to unionize, to be heard in a humane way through collective bargaining and organizing what this action is all about. My story is among many other drivers' stories. I invite drivers to grab paper and marker and please tell us your story. And please please include your name. Or come up and tell us your story. We all count in the struggle for fair treatment. So let's keep coming back until our voices are heard.
2: So I'm going to finish up the show here. One more event to uh, share with you all. And this is the the Trans Day of Remembrance and Resilience, a night of learning happening on November 18th, which is a Thursday. It'll be at 4 to 5.30 p.m. Pacific time. And this is from uh, Keshet. Join Keshet, Esvara, a traditionally radical yeshiva, Shel Mala, and our shared communities for an evening of Jewish text study and ritual in honor of trans lives lost this past year. Workshops will be for and led by trans folks alongside a parallel session for allies. All are welcome. No previous experience with Hebrew or text study is necessary. The program is co sponsored by Asfara and Keshet, and we'll post a link to that uh, event on our site at weeklyrev.org. That'll be it for us. We're going to end with some music, and then we'll be back uh, maybe next week. Uh, Feel free to check out other shows here at the station. MutinyRedo.FM got shows here every day of the week as well as the archive for the weekly review. You can find it all at mutinyradio.fm. Thanks, everyone, and have a good week.
11: You hit me one time. Imagine my surprise. When you hit me two times, you got yourself.
19: Coming soon, the sixth annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival, six venues, 24 shows, seven days, 75 comics from all over the United States at amazing local venues, Haciento, Atlas Cafe, El Rio, Milk Bar, OMG, and The Bar. On Dolores, special headliner shows at El Rio, Thursday night, 7 and 9 o'clock, featuring Scott Capuro, headliner, amazing comedian. Also, Andy Iwancio out of Seattle, here for the 6th Annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival. All tickets are $10, except the headlining show, which are 20 You can find all of the shows on Mutiny Radio's Eventbrite. Reserve them now. And don't miss out, 2021, the 6th annual Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival.
18: Black Block, a novel about protest from Sanjuro, a sample. The walk from Union Square to the bar is a long way for a drink so you want a few stopovers. You get warmed up at Lefty O'Doul's, an old-time tavern with memorabilia and a menu from another century. Then a market street dive to rub elbows with the hoy Poloy. Next is a Folsom Leather Bar. The dark, goth soundtrack is a refreshing change from the usual jukebox anthems, but you must avert your eyes lest you observe gentlefolk in flagrante. That means fucking. Tonight, none of these places are open unless looters have broken in. The city is shut down because of the riots. Thank you. Find me at sandrorider.com and BlackBlock is on Amazon.
12: and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. Mutiny Radio FM. Why not make a donation? Mutiny Radio dot FM. Streaming live for the station? Mutiny Radio dot FM district of the mission mutinyradio.fm mutinyradio.fm listen to live streaming radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go san francisco mutiny radio san francisco mutiny radio look why not go to mutinyradio.fm Hit the donate button, stream them live, download a podcast, have some fun! In Francisco Mutiny Radio!
18: That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m.s at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo!
12: 4.99. L.S.D. Fap. Acid and fapping. Fapping and acid. Acid and fapping. Fapping and acid. Fap, 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 Acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping.
0: You can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host, Pam Benjamin, brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? (laughs) It's a cash cock, honey. I was just leaving the theater.
8: Convertible 1969 gold Cadillac with a white material and carrier. I drove it up here.
9: And I started
8: to do some thinking. And ...around on the freeway and I'm
5: having i having a really, really good time.
15: Flat black classic. big splits and cruising on the freeway. I
5: am a absolutely right. I am an
17: adolescent, and I will cut the Henry! Yeah, Charlie here. Yeah. I have a report here, Henry, from your uh,
0: from your chief nurse, Major and uh, She makes some accusations, Henry. I-, I find pretty hard to believe. Uh, the dude-
20: I will build lava wells all over the country as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July, magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky, volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow